Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is the podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. I'm your host, Youngmi Mayer. Every week I have a guest um, to share a sad story, and then we try to laugh about their sad story. And this week I have an extremely hilarious comedian that I've known for years. Every time I've watched her on stage, I've laughed. It's like the, one of these scenarios where I think as stand-up comedians, we always like watch each we we always bump into each other like basically every night because we're always on the same shows. And there'll be like five people on the show and I'll just be like, "Great. This sucks." <laughs> and then like to be fair, like watching that much stand-up, you get very dead dead to Inside. it and it's never f- yeah, because you're just watching it all night long, like three times a night or whatever. But whenever I saw our guest today, I would always fucking laugh. And I feel like that's a mark of a great comedian for me, a comedian's comedian. Um, everybody, uh, give it up for Honey Lisbon. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You also said my name right, which is so, so exciting for me. <laughs> I'm going to pretend that I wasn't practicing that for five minutes <laughs> nailed it no you nailed it you could be jewish wow well no did i i don't know if i've ever told you this you know when i first uh gave birth to my son i was i was like living on this street and i would always walk by this like chinese man that had like a vegetable stand right yeah and i would always say hi to him and i would always walk by with this little baby and one day he was like he was like what why are you Jewish, but your baby is Chinese? He said that. What? He thought I was Jewish. Was he blind? (laughs) (laughs) No, he was Chinese. He was. Why did he think you were Jewish? Were you wearing a wig? (laughs) Stop. (laughs) No, no wig. Just, he was just. You just heard me say Hanukkah. And he was like, oh, okay. First of all, I am so impressed. (laughs) <laughs> Hanukkah. It's like I'm like, how did she? Were you up all night doing that? Like, how did you get I was practicing? You did so good. I came prepared. No, because this is why I'll, I'll tell you because I feel like people who are not Asian or East Asian don't understand. You know, I'm biracial, and I think for most people that are not East Asian, I look very Korean. Mm. But for East Asian people, like Koreans, Chinese, Japanese people, I look very whatever the fuck, whatever the fuck is not East Asian. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But then how do you get the chus so well? How do you do that? Oh, I was practicing. Okay. I appreciate the effort. I really do. Thank yeah. you. So I think the guy, like for a lot of East Asian people, they're like, I don't know what you are. <laughs> and I guess that guy was like Jewish. Jewish. You know? Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's my... So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me. How has stand-up been? Because I haven't seen you in a long time. Comedy (laughs) is going good. You know, it's interesting. When the pandemic hit, I remember there was this moment like March 2020 when they were like, don't leave the house. It was really bad. And there were still some comedians that were going out to do shows, like free shows, like free bar shows to like... 
literally put their lives at risk just for this like 10 minute spot, you know, like on the Lower East Side. And I remember like, I just had this internal shift and I was like, when the world opens back up, I'm not running around for spots, no matter what. I've done that for five years. I'm not doing that anymore. And so I just stopped running around for spots and I started getting paid for booked gigs during the pandemic, like either on Zoom or in person. I even did a gig with a mask on at a college. Mm, I've done that. At a college. And they paid me so much money. And I was like, I didn't know I could get paid for comedy. Mm -hmm. I I had no idea. Before the pandemic, I was not making any money from comedy. You just not even think of asking. No. Because it was like, why would I ask? Because it's like, I'm just telling jokes. But guess what? People aren't funny and they will pay for you to make them laugh. Yeah. Now I do private parties. I do colleges. I do rehabs. Like, and I don't run around New York. Yeah. Cause I'm sober. I'm sober. Oh, congrats. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, why would the fuck are they bringing you out? No. So I'm sober for 15 years. So, um, so I go out there and I share my story and I make them laugh and I offer them hope. Like, Hey, you guys, like recovery is possible. And, um, and, and I'm not really on the New York scene that much because I'm like doing my own thing. Yeah. That's so funny because I feel like I also had that shift during the pandemic where I was Mm. like, I was doing these zoom shows and I was getting paid a lot. Yeah. And I was like, for what? Sitting in my (laughs) living room? And, And then I think it shifted it in my head too. Like I was like, yeah, why haven't I been like, um, sort of looking for paid gigs it never occurred to me to do that yeah yeah well that's so that's so interesting that that shifted for you yeah Um, i don't i i I don't go to open mics anymore i i just like there's no no no. (laughs) what happened was is um i think it was ma april may june july maybe like july 2020 someone reached out to me and she was like hey can you open for me Mm-hmm. And it was a Jewish. Oh, maybe I shouldn't publicize that. It was an event that was in person. <laughs> it was me. I'm just kidding. Yeah, 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 I'm it, Jewish. It was, it was in your backyard, <laughs> and she was like, "Yeah, can you do like 15 or 20 minutes?" And I was like, "I haven't been on stage in forever. How the fuck am I going to do that amount of time? I have nowhere to practice." And so I practiced yeah. in my bedroom, uh-huh. and I was like, "Okay." And then I knocked it out of the park. And I was like, Oh, I don't, I mean, I've been doing comedy for so long. I don't need to go to open mics. I know that sounds crazy, but I just, yeah. And I did it. And then, you know, it was great. And then I, yeah, I, I decided I wanted a headline. So I headlined at, wow. at stand up New York last year. And wow. again, like, where are you practicing 45 minutes, 30? I only did 36 minutes. I'm, I didn't do a full 45, just to be completely honest. But like, where am I practicing that amount of time? This is New York City. No one's giving you a half hour to practice. So it's like, no, you know, I did it. I practiced in my living room. 36 minutes is, I feel like a good amount of time. I feel like, you know, like the old, cause like I, de- I definitely feel like the shift that I had was like, you know, towards content, mm. you know, away from live stand up, yeah. which I still do. Um, I I still do live comedy in the form of like uh like it's it's not fully stand up it's like more like a variety show and I'm like in the process of producing one for this next year but like but um what was I saying um I think that there is a shift you know stand up is changing and like it's you have to sort of like think of it in a new way for a new audience so I think thirty 
35 minutes is like, it's, it's a great amount of time. Yeah. Well, yeah. now I do longer. That was a year ago. Right, right. So thank God. I mean, oh, I'm not bragging. Full hour? I have like 47 wow. minutes. Wow. I did you're that. You're so funny. I did that last yeah. week at a birthday party. 47 minutes? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was like. How did that go? It went amazing. I made so much money. Oh my God. I can't. Wait, I, I want to see. I can't. Like literally, I was like. I asked for this price and I'm like, this is my new year, my new price for the year. And they're like, great. Cause originally they had, they had asked to hire me in December and then someone got sick and they didn't book me. And then she asked me again in January. I'm like, Oh, these are my updated prices for the new year. She didn't even blink. She was like, okay, great. I was like, okay. Okay. Don't you hate that? Cause then you're like, <laughs> maybe I should have asked for more. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, yeah. There's, I feel like if you yeah if you're like paying money for entertainment at a birthday party you're at a you're at another tax bracket and they're just like <laughs> you know what I mean I mean I walked into this house and I was like will you adopt me do you know what I mean I was like I'm ready to live here it's gorgeous who do you know that has money to pay for entertainment at a at a birthday I'm just like I'm gonna pay for eight pizzas and a case of I, beers I hate to say it but the have a lot of money. Stop. I'm gonna whisper. Stop, ta- stop talking about our people like that. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna let them think it's okay to believe in stereotypes. I mean, it's not all, but it's a lot. Yeah, you know, and they love having a good time. They love it. <laughs> they love it. They love a good time, and they're not afraid to pay for it. You heard it here from Honey, everyone, straight from a Jewish person's lips the jews jewish people love having a good time yeah 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 yeah. i mean i wish i say it (laughs) i feel embarrassed to say it but we love a good time don't feel embarrassed i say shit about korean people all the time i mean we've seen your stuff we've seen your stuff (laughs) oh my god can i ask you a question unrelated to what we're talking about how does your mom feel about your content i'm just curious (laughs) okay she loves it she does okay good She's always commenting. She made a TikTok just to watch my TikToks. And I'm like, I think there's a lot of, uh, what's that thing called where you're not seeing reality to protect your emotions? Oh, <laughs> denial. <laughs> like, she's like, I love this. Ha ha ha. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think you're fully understanding what I'm putting down here. <laughs> yeah, you're not really fully listening to it, but that's okay. You're yeah. being supportive. I just remember when I used to hear you do stand up like years ago before the world changed, you would talk about your mom and I would just die. Cause you were so funny when you talked about her. So dark. It was so dark. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I have to say my mom's humor is very dark. So she is okay with, she's okay. Like I get my sense of humor from her. Oh, I didn't know So she's like that. So she'll joke about like, yeah, I was beating your fucking ass. <laughs> like, you know, like, she thinks it's funny. So she does, like, she might really actually like my videos. She's like, yeah, that's right. Tell them. <laughs> does she speak English? Yeah. Oh, my God. Because she, because my dad's white and he Did refuses it? to learn Korean. He's been living there for 30 plus years. Oh, my God. Almost 40 years now. <laughs> oh, my God. How did they meet? They met in Alaska. My mom was working at Baskin Robbins. This is a whole so we we can't even get into this because we'll never Your get to you. Your mom was working at Baskin Robbins in Alaska, in Fairbanks, I, f- Alaska. 
the fuck did she end up there? Sorry, this is way more interesting than my birthday parties that I get hired to do. Are you kidding? No, I'll just I'll just give you the very quick <clears throat> story. Like my mom, Mary, she was in Seoul working in this like slight it's like a complicated it's not exactly sex work but it's kind of adjacent sort of place yeah just to meet like a gi to get the fuck out of korea because it was like horrible back then this is like back when you know yeah it, it wasn't good um and she met this guy married him had a kid and then got divorced it ended up in fairbanks because he was stationed there oh. and so she was just like a single mom with my sister working at baskin robbins and then she met my dad was he also was he also an officer my dad yeah my dad was just some fucking guy living in alaska but not alaskan is that a word no he's from new jersey (laughs) jersey city born and raised oh my god that's why you're so cool like you literally oh my god because i'm because i'm jersey city uh, yeah blood yeah i don't know there's something really fucking random about that no yeah i I like people from jersey they're real ones yeah like you're a real one yeah 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 okay sorry where where are you from i'm from la okay yeah born and raised in la what part of la the west side Mm. the pico robertson area the jewish neighborhood the jewish neighborhood okay (laughs) you're whispering I don't know anything about LA, but um, I thought you were going to say I don't know anything about Jewish people. Um, you've never you've been to LA. I've seen your stories. You've been to LA. I have, and I love LA. Yeah, I feel but, like I could see you living there. I I love it, but then I I think I you know what I forget I forget that because um, when I think about LA, I'm like the the weather is always nice and the be- be- the beach or whatever. But then when I get there, I remember that there are people that live there that are LA people and <sighs> they're horrible. No, they're not good. They're not good. No, I don't like going and, to LA. Yeah, the people there are fucking fucking weird. They're just they're they're a different breed. They literally are not real. <laughs> they're not real. Yeah. My family and, lives there and I can say I mean my family is different, but like You can say it, you're from there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, like the level of superficiality that goes on there, like I just I can't subscribe to that. It just feels really disconnected from reality almost yeah like but all the say, all the work yeah. people are getting done on their faces and it's like so normal i'm sorry I, we don't have to go there no no i that's how i feel about it but i was gonna say a lot of my close friends live in la and they're the realest of the real ones i love them you but, know what i mean yeah but they're not from la no, even my friends that are from LA, oh, okay. they're like weird and kooky. I had my friend Kevin on the on the podcast, and he's so real and interesting, and just like, and he's like from LA, but he's more like, yeah, we're like, yeah. I, I think it's like I, it's also like the POC that live in LA. It's like a very different, yeah, you know, yeah. And it's, it's also like different. it's also like the new age like yoga instructor influencer. You know, like I, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah. I feel like some of the worst people in LA are not from LA. They're like the people that like move there to for become, that specific reason. And yeah. so they're horrible. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I think that's, I think you're correct. I think you're correct. I'm yeah. actually going there like in two weeks. So pray for me. 
just don't talk to anybody at Erewhon because they're going to ruin your day. <laughs> I won't go they're to Erewhon. I've never been to Erewhon. It's Erewhon's. so passive aggressive. Yeah, I've been there once and I was like, I don't know. I got a coconut milk and I'm st- I have you're never st- financially recovered. You're still paying it off. Um, I am going to send you a reel about Erewhon that you're going to die. My this girl, this this person made on Instagram. I watch it like once a week. It's, oh, please send oh it. Oh my god, she's like, how much is this avocado? Thirty dollars. Taking it, and she like puts it. It's so funny. It's so. Yeah, I, I, don't, do I feel like Erwan, um, I didn't know much about it, but then it became like a social media phenomenon. You, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, it's like its own little. I've actually never been inside of it, and I've lived there my whole life. Like I, I don't, I don't. There's no need to go there. Like, what's happening? Like, I don't think anyone really goes there. It's just it's big on social media. You yeah, know? yeah. I love that you said I've never financially recovered. <laughs> I'm still paying off the mortgage from that coconut milk. I think it was like it was like a, a little drink, and I was like, I'm gonna just grab this drink. I don't want to look poor, you know. I was like, I'm buying something. Look, I'm buying something. It's like twelve dollars or so. I was like, what? I think it was actually more. I think it was like nineteen dollars, and it was like a regular, like a twelve ounce. Drink. Oh my god! This was back in the day. I feel like this is back oh. years ago. Oh God. Anyway, um wait, I wanted to touch on something. I wanted to touch on the fact that you so the so the little I I, I don't know about your story and I'm I you know, I usually like to share share a sad story first, but before I share my story, the the little I know about you is that you grew up Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um which I don't know that much about, you know, um <laughs> And a lot of your comedy is about that. But that's like really interesting. And I just want to ask you, how do you feel? Because I feel like recently there have been, I've seen this one documentary of this woman that sort of like left that religion. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's been a lot of um, negative um, media surrounding it, which is for me very new because I've never heard any of like anything about that community um, that was negative. So, oh. how do you feel about this sort of like, I guess the recent um, <clears throat> like attention that the Orthodox community is receiving in media? Well, that's an, actually a really good question. Thank you. Um, it's interesting because that specific um, documentary was about a very specific sect of Orthodoxy that's like very mm-hmm. strict. And I did not grow up like that. So I have no reference to how she was, I mean, a little bit, but like the intensity of the strictness of the rules that she had to endure, that's not my experience. Like it's Williamsburg, it's Borough Park. It's it's a very rigid way to live and it works for so many people. Um, it does, it is a little bit embarrassing that people are like, ooh, what the fuck is this? You know, but at the same time, it's like, yeah. it's not all of orthodoxy that lives like that. It's just not right. that's that specific sect. And if people are educated enough, they'll know that that's not all Orthodox people, if that makes sense. Because yeah, her experience like, was not my experience in terms of like, you know, needing to run away. Like when I wanted to leave, which I did, I just like left like it wasn't a big deal. Mm, that's really interesting. I'm really glad that I asked you that because I feel like for anybody that's from like some sort of. A community that's not the mainstream American community. It's always like in America, there's one fucking movie that's made, and now everybody thinks that's what it is. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, 
It's not like that. It's not like that. There are a lot of Orthodox people that have tons of love in their lives and there's a joy for Judaism and the kids love it. And I loved it growing up. I loved yeah. being Orthodox. I did. Right. And yeah. there was there was a safety in there for me. There was a lot of uh, intense things going on at home. And so the structure of Orthodoxy held me and made me feel safe. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't her experience. Like, it just wasn't. Yeah. But I did end up leaving and then coming back. I'm sort of like religious again. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Well, I was going to ask you that after. Well, I was going to say about that specific movie. I feel bad because I feel like everybody in the world deserves a say and like they deserve to talk about their experience in whatever community they're from. And yeah, but like it's so sad how people try are like so big on stereotyping and pigeonholing groups that they are not they don't know about that once they get one experience from it that's how they think the whole thing is yeah you know obviously as like a korean person or east asian person the east asian community struggles with that too because it's like they hear this one story where there's a tiger mom she's forcing you to play violin and you gotta go to harvard and like everybody thinks that about east asians and like that's been like my work to basically be like I mean, I, I had like a heroin addiction and I have a fucking back tattoo. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's not how we all are. Yeah. And so it must be really frustrating, especially because, you know, like when I saw that documentary, I'm like, okay, this particular person was like in this bad experience. But I didn't think that's everybody that lives in this fucking religion because there's, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Because if it was, it would be some sort of crisis situation do you know what I mean yeah yeah well that's amazing that you had that open mind to know that I feel like that's helpful when you're going in to watch something to be like this is one person's story one single person's story you know yeah and she deserves and then and then the back the back part of that is that she now it gets like the community is upset at her for making them look bad but it's like she has the right to share her experience yeah but the problem is that everyone else should have not thought that that was the entire community like the problem isn't that she is making them look bad the problem is that we all think that she's speaking for the whole community right I mean yeah yeah everybody is entitled to share their story and there's so and no matter even if you're in the same community as someone everyone's experience is different and I'm actually writing a one-person show to I'm almost done um like a solo hour-long show to explain like my whole life like alcoholism, orthodoxy, you know, all this stuff. And to bring people into that world and to give them a glimpse into like, hey, this is where I come from and this is where I am. And like, I'm very lucky to come from where I come from. And I know that. And I feel blessed that I have that connection to a community. Like I have the most amazing community of people because of where I come from. Like I have a built-in community anywhere I go. Judaism like we just have yeah. people everywhere and it's like it's a just, great feeling it really is I'm speaking as a Jewish person yes yeah, <laughs> what I'm saying you know <laughs> no I like I yeah. feel like as I get older I really understand the value of that feeling community is so having important. like a people yeah especially what we yeah. just went through now with the pandemic like Mm-hmm. I only felt alone for like the first, I would say six weeks when we, I actually wasn't leaving the house. Okay. You know, and then after that, I was like, oh my God, I'm surrounded by these people. And that's sort yeah. of what brought me back in was like, oh my God, I, I kind of love the traditions and they're making me feel, mm. yeah, I don't know. 
I've like, I've sort of fallen in love with my religion again. And I keep it in a way that feels good to me. I don't like rigidity. I don't like the rules. I don't like being told I can't do this and I can't do that. So I don't, I do whatever I want, but I also participate in the ways and the things that make, that make, give my heart joy. I feel like all of the stuff that you're saying really like speaks to me because like the, the whole thing where you're saying the pandemic brought you back into it, your community and like your religion I, I saw that happening a lot with other Asian people, too, yeah. where they were like, and it's so easy for us to, I feel like we're so, like, in this mode where we're all pretending the pandemic's over. It's so easy for me to forget, like, talking to Asian people being like, I only talk to Asian people now because I don't trust anyone else. And I think it was different for East Asians because we were being attacked oh, and people yeah, were, yeah, like, yeah. spitting on us. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So we were scared around everyone oh, else, wow. which makes sense. But yeah. that caused a lot of people to be like, I love my culture and like, you yeah, know, I feel solidarity. And then I remember, you know, one of my other friends who is an Asian person, but she was like, you know, I grew up in a white community. So all my friends are white. And I literally cut ties with all of my friend group because they were not taking, you know, this like Asian hate stuff seriously. And she was like, she totally shifted her life. So it was like that wow. was happening for, I think, everybody. And it wow. makes sense that that happened for you as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you about your because you just sort of brought it up, like leaving the religion and you said you're back now. What was that? What was that about? Well, <laughs> when I moved to New York, I it was the first time in my life that I didn't have like people watching me and telling me what to do, what to wear, because like I, I, I grew up not being able to wear pants. I was only allowed to wear skirts that covered my knees. So there was like a very strict uniform and I couldn't like get in a car on the Sabbath, no electricity from sundown on Friday to sundown on the Sabbath on Saturday. And it was the first time that I could do whatever I wanted. And so I, I like, it was hard for me to like start wearing pants. The first time I wore pants, I left the house and then like I walked down the block and I felt like everybody was staring at me. So I ran home and I put on a skirt like that happened three times. <laughs> Wow. Wait, how old were you? 20? 21? Oh, that's still young, though. You feel that's... like you're old, but you're very young. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then, like, the first time I got into a car on the Sabbath, I, like, had a panic attack, and I made the taxi driver, like, turn around and drive me back. I was like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. And, like, I went back to the hotel. Um, so then, for, like, many years, I, I dated someone who wasn't Jewish. We lived together. Like I he just, wasn't, or they were. It, it was. A, it was a. It was a girl, actually. Yeah, that's what. Sorry, I, I corrected myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's okay. I, I date <laughs> men now, but at the time, I, I fell in love with my best friend, and we dated. Um, that was a fun moment. Um, but like, and even they weren't Jewish. No, no, no. You no. said okay, Catholic, sorry, Catholic. Yeah. Um, but oh. it's interesting because, like, I know some people have like a heart. A lot of people struggle with that kind of stuff, but like my mother was just so happy for me. She was like, I'm so happy that you found someone that makes you happy. Like I had no judgment from her. Mm -hmm. There was, I didn't get just like, you know, cut off from the family. So many people do. And I have friends who are gay who are in same sex relationships in the Orthodox community and their parents don't acknowledge it. Wow. So, so I did not have that experience. <laughs> Everybody has their own experience, you know? And then, you know, it's yeah. interesting when I broke up with my ex, my mother was like, oh, thank God, my prayers have been answered. So I was like, <laughs> the fuck have you been <laughs> praying for? She was like, this is great. No great. She's like, thank God. Oh my God. Thank God. <laughs> She's been holding it in for three years. <laughs> I 
was like, wow, you hit that real well. Like, she met her. We hung out. We went for manicures. I was like, interesting. But you know what? Good for, you know, good for your mom. Because, like, that's, that's very, that's, like, very... You know, obviously, in the perfect world, we would have parents that are 100% supportive. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's something. The fact mm-hmm. that she was unhappy and she was kind enough to give you space to live your life and yeah. not be like, fuck you, you're cut off. No. You know? I mean, when I say cut off, like it wasn't like there's any money to be cut off from, but emotionally. <laughs> no, but that's way more painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. know. I was just yeah. making a joke. Okay. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Cut <laughs> off. You're not getting any of the non-money that we have. Um, <laughs> we're not sending you a Christmas card right? with $10 in it every year you're gonna really miss that $10 a year bitch <laughs> yeah exactly so um, but yeah um, I just feel really lucky like yeah, I, I was I had the room to explore and you know there were many years where I was so triggered I couldn't even walk into a synagogue I was like no anything Judaism, like Jewish related would give me anxiety and would trigger me. And thank God I've been able to like move through those feelings and like heal. And now I find love and joy there. So. So during that break, so you're, I feel like what I'm picking up from your story is that you were sort of like pushing back against the, like Mm -hmm. the rules that you're, uh, that you had to live in your entire life because nobody was like making you do them anymore and during that time where you said you were like not so you like did you not believe like did you I was no just very faith? I was just very angry mm-hmm. I don't want to get into like the, I don't know how dark this podcast yeah, yeah. gets but like oh it gets real dark but it's up to you like you um, don't have to share if you don't want oh to. interesting um I had memories of trauma mm-hmm. for the first time when I was like 27 years old that I remembered things mm-hmm. that had happened when I was younger right and I was like I just couldn't I just like disconnected. I was like, nope, not doing anything. Like I was just so angry. Right. Cause it was like, it was like, yeah, go ahead. No, no, please. No, you go first. You're Jewish. Um, no, I I was just saying like, so you're stepping away from your culture and religion was like part of stepping away from the trauma that was attached to your life. Mm hmm you're just like you wanted to like be rid of everything or something Mm -hmm. yeah i just i needed space to like heal and so now you're realizing after healing that it wasn't the part of your life that you wanted to omit Mm -hmm. like the culture and the okay so so during that time like did you still have like faith though i had as much as i could at the time but i was in so much pain I had like a psychotic break, like when that happened, like for three Mm. years, I was like, not a, I was like a shell of a person. I stopped doing comedy. I couldn't perform because I was like, I can't have anybody looking at me. I cut off all my hair. Like I, I just was like in the space of like not feeling okay or, or taken care of or safe. And I just felt like I kept my, my world really small. Like I just went to work, went home, went to work, went home. Like I, I, I couldn't really socialize. I was it was bad. <laughs> I was yeah. just everything scared me. Mm. It was more trauma so, than like anything else, you know. Yeah. Sexual I abuse see. is real. Right. So it was like cuz I, you know, I think 
for me when I initially when you said that I thought it was like this oh I'm like questioning you know this whole culture and religion but now it just sounds like you just needed to like take away everything from your life and just sort of like like process your emotions and then through this journey of healing you're at this place where you're like oh these weren't the issues Mm -hmm. my culture and my religion I just want to say, you know, like you you mentioned, you know, your mom being okay with the fact that you're dating a woman and um and your story of you know, like you have these cultural religious elements like you felt weird wearing pants or getting in a car, but you also have all these other things that are positive and not what people would expect. And I think, you know, like what you're saying, that's why your story is so important. Mm. You know, because you know like tying in that documentary which is like how the only thing most people have ever seen yeah about that Mm -hmm. community outside the community it's like we need to hear all these different voices and so i'm really like happy and glad that you're you know you're focusing your comedy obviously on yourself and your experience yeah yeah thank you thank you for what happened for me is like after I headlined at Stand Up New York last year, I got off the stage and it was an it was a magical night. And I was like, I just left people. I made them laugh about sex jokes and maybe a little bit about my childhood. But I was like, there's so much more to my story that I want to share with people. And that's when yeah. I realized, oh, I need to write a one person show because like the comedy is like fun and it's light, but it's not like actually offering anything substantial to people where they can walk away and be like oh, wow, like healing is possible. Transformation happens. And so that was sort of the motivation for writing the story, writing the show. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear it because I really like, um, I really relate to your story. Like that's my whole thing too. I'm like, you have to see another Korean woman that's not in the pigeonhole that that you think you know us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you're getting your voice out there. That's Thank so you. fascinating. Um, I guess, well, I was going to share a sad story and then ask you about yours um, to get to get it moving, I guess. What's my sad story? I was like, what's my sad story? I have, I have so many sad stories. <laughs> Can I just say that I said to my friend last night, I was like, I need to have a sad story prepared. She was like, well, what about the fact that you're like single and like every guy you've ever loved has never loved you back? I was like, what whoa can we like wait. tone it down <laughs> same <laughs> i'm like wait yeah i totally <laughs> forgot about that i was like well, that was just on the tip of your tongue huh you didn't even have to think it was so funny i was like wait that's my sad story too. okay i'm sorry go ahead i have a different that's, sad story no. no i'm just saying that's like that is true i've just never even thought of that i know i was like ouch that really hurts on a thursday night go fuck yourself that's not true, though, honey. No, I, I mean, is it? Uh, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I've been single for a while. Same, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it, but I, I would love to have a real partnership with somebody. But do you really? Sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to like. They're, I mean, men I, are so. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, do you just mean with any? Like, I, you know, I also date everybody. Okay. Oh, you date? Um, you date everybody? Everybody? Yeah. Oh, I didn't and know that. I, but I haven't been in a relationship with a woman in like probably since the pandemic. Okay. Um, oh, I didn't know that like, about you. Now you're so oh, you much more interesting. That. Yeah. We're the same person. We're Jewish. We're bi. I don't know if you. I call consider myself bisexual. queer. 
Me too. Jewish, queer, you know, traumatized. Comedians. Look at us, comedians. Hashem is so proud. Listen. Hashem is Hebrew Hashem for God. is so proud. <laughs> um... <laughs> No, I know that. That's the word for God. I was gonna. I was oh, about to say that. that? I, I, no, I'm just oh. kidding. I didn't. I'm just, oh, I'm, fuck. I'm, just, I'm doing a bit. I'm taking it too far. Okay. Um. Wait, but I was gonna say. Okay, so my sad story, besides the fact that I'm alone and old, um, is that. Oh, I was remembering uh, like a childhood sad story, oh. and it, I was thinking about because um, my friend who I'm biracial, obviously, and that's like another thing that I'm very proud of talking about because I feel like you need to hear voices. Um, and I grew up in Korea, which is um, not as common, I guess, if you're biracial. And I grew up in a time I'm so old that I grew up in a time where um, biracial children were looked at very bad mm. badly because they were stateless i just read this amazing essay by a, a another biracial korean woman and she explains the history of korean adoption which started because of stateless biracial children that were being left by military servicemen in korea which i did not know so this entire korean adoption you know phenomenon that's like you know i'm sure you've met a lot of korean people that are adopted started right after the war because so many servicemen were having sex with sex workers and then abandoning their children and in korea there was a law in 19 i wrote all this down like i think 1948 that said that stemmed from not even no it was it must have been 1958 or 50 something like right after the war that stemmed from like this uh idea that the japanese imperialist in place but it was, it's a long-running idea in korea as well that all all korean citizens get their citizenship from their fathers <clears throat> because and if you are a child born out of wedlock you're basically it's just like your life is like homeless street urchin you, you don't have a nationality and you don't belong in korea and so it's very very bad oh not to have a father God. Obviously, all biracial children didn't have fathers. Their fathers are foreign and they're not Korean. So they're not actually considered Korean people. So the government had a bunch of these fucking kids running around and they were filling up the orphanages. All the sex workers would have to like abandon them. They couldn't put them in school. You know, they didn't have a national ID. And so then this American company came in, these missionaries, and they were like, we'll send them to America to get adopted. And so that's how that adoption agency started anyway uh this very fascinating um article if anyone's listening and wants to uh read it i will i, I don't know if I, I, obviously i'm not going to share it unless the author i don't know if it's published but um i will let you know who it is but um but the reason why i bring that up is because i was growing up in korea around that time and people when they saw me assumed that i was like a whatever child and my friend who's a little older he's like 10 years older than me he he also lived in korea for a while and he said that it was dangerous because like at that time there were like there it was in the news it wasn't even the news but like his family said that a korean military men if they saw like a biracial child in the street like they should sh they'll shoot them like they saw like a three-year-old playing on the street and shot shot this kid because they're like oh this is worthless and obviously they didn't go to jail because it's like they don't have a 
identity. You know, it's like you can't even write them down. And so it was like really dangerous for him. And he was like, oh, did you feel ever feel stuff like that? Because they would also get kidnapped because they couldn't report the kidnapping and, you know, like trafficked and stuff. Oh, my God. and then I had this like memory. Well, I, I've I've always remembered it wasn't like repressed. I had this memory of this man wait, like would always like try to talk to me and get him to like go with him. And he was always drunk when I was like oh six god. years old oh in Korea. God. Oh my god! And so I had this memory, and I was like writing it down, like just to like remember everything that happened. And I remember. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna try not to cry, but like I remember these like two middle school girls like stood up for me, and that's literally the reason why I wasn't kidnapped. Because you know when you're a kid, and it, this is like Korea too. In Korea, you're taught if like an old man, an adult man, tells you to do something, you just do it. You don't ask. So he told me to come with him, and I was going with him. And I was like in the middle of like literally going with him wherever he was going to put me in the car or whatever. And these two girls stopped him. I can't even fathom what you're saying right now. And then I didn't even think it was weird until the two girls were like, what the fuck? And they kept calling him Torai, which is like psycho in Korean. How old were they? Well, so the reason why I know they're in middle school is because they had like my haircut, which is a mandatory haircut for oh. middle school and co- high school girls. So they were 12 and over. Like, they saved your life. Between 12 and 17. They yeah, saved and your they life. Sa- and yeah, and then they walked with me and made sure. And then and then he went away. I remember him. He he grabbed me and he was like holding me so hard. I like remember all the and it, he was like holding on to me. And then the two girls like, oh, like, what are you doing? Like, and then they started shouting at him. And like, it was like on the street during the day. It was like right after school. So all the people on the sidewalk started like looking at him. And then he was like, he let me go. And he's like ran off. But he was like, for a while, he wouldn't let me go. Like, they were like, you know, like, who are like, and, and then they, they, they were talking. They knew you from school? No, they just saw it happening. They saw me coming out of the school and they saw, he, they saw him. And then they had rec- they recognized him because they were like Tora Yajashi, like oh, they've seen him around, like the psycho guy, and they probably saw him like fucking with other kids and stuff. But I remember he asked me when I like I remember this so vivid. It's like you know, like when you have like a trauma, you remember everything. Like I remember the smell and the wow, feeling, yeah, and the yeah, backpack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I remember he was like, "Well, where are you from? Like, where are you from?" Because he's like he could see that I'm not you know, Korean. And I was like confused because at that point I was so young that I didn't realize that I was was, biracial or whatever. Right, right. And I remember just being like, my house is here. And like, I think I gave him my home address. Like I was like, this is my house. You know, like, yeah, I got to do everything the adult tells me. Like just trying to answer his questions. I didn't even feel afraid. I was like, this is a nice man. He's going to like, until those, those girls freaked out. Anyway, so that w- that's like a sad memory, but the sad, the, 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 sorry, but the sad part and what makes me oh that's not the sad part. I'm waiting for the sad part. Okay, uh, no, but like <coughs> the part that makes me emotional. No, obviously the sad part's like I was about to get kidnapped and raped or murdered or whatever. But the sad part is that the girls like like how they were acting i'm trying i don't know why it's It's okay if you cry they were like when they were like walking me home they were like not like looking at me um or like talking directly at me they were just talking about it in front of me 
because it's like this Korean thing, like things like that are like shameful. Like you have to be ashamed of stuff like that. And like, it just makes me really uh, uh, emotional to think of how like how Korean women act around each other. It's because like you're not supposed to say things directly. And so they they didn't say like, are you okay? They didn't. No, but they said it in this way that was like more comforting because like in Korea, it's like embarrassing to say something like, oh, this happened to you. And like to have ownership of that, it like makes you feel ashamed. So they were just like, oh, that was like they were just saying to each other like that's so scary. And like, like, oh, I feel so bad for that girl, like almost like so they wouldn't have to like it's it's. It's like complicated to explain. It's like they were being so kind to me, but they were also doing it in a way that they knew that I I would feel bad if they said it directly. Like, you know, oh it was God. like showing this kindness in a way where wow. it's almost like showing kindness in a way in a culture where you're not allowed to say things like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. <clears throat> That's a legit trauma. You know that, right? Yeah, but like, I don't know. that. That's the part that makes me emotional. Like, they like cared enough about me to like even take in, into account that I would be like ashamed, you know? And they knew. It's like when you're little kids, the little like playground politics, because they know like they're not going to tell your parents because you're going to get in trouble or whatever, you know? So you didn't even, did you ever tell your parents? I never told my parents because I would get in trouble. I'll get my fucking ass beat, you know? Oh, my God. And it's like they knew that, you know? Oh, my God. I think it made me emotional in this way that you're talking, like your community understands how to behave with the rules of your community. Yeah, yeah. And for them to have the uh, awareness and the compassion. Because, like, if you're in America, I think you hear a lot of Asian Americans telling these stories, like, my mom beat my ass and my white neighbor called the cops. And they're like, how dare you? And it's like, obviously, yeah, you should call the cops if you see a child getting their ass beat. But then it's like, within the culture, I, this is going to sound really wrong. I think it's going to be hard to explain and hard to understand if you're outside of, like, a closed community. But, like, r- really, realistically... You being brought up in this culture where, yeah, sometimes your parents beat your ass, but it's like an understood part of that culture. Yeah. And being around your parents as an Asian kid in America is going to be way better than you going to the foster care system. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, but it, for an American person, that's like, what? That's child abuse. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, it's hard to explain because obviously I don't <clears throat> think children should be beat, but like, it's like that. It's like knowing that your community understands your own roles. Yeah. I think that's what's so moving about it. <clears throat> wow. Well, thank you for sharing yeah. that. That's really a powerful story. I feel like my sad story is not going to be able no, to it's come a, close. It's a sad story competition, honey. <clears throat> I lost. You got to get it sadder. No, I fully lost. Yeah. But that's my sad story. I also think it's interesting that I think the actual part, the guy <coughs> trying to kidnap me, is humorous. I was like, that's really funny. <laughs> he had soju grip. Like, he was drunk off soju, so he's, like, gripping my arm. I call it soju fingers when you just get extra human soju strength. Oh. <sighs> anyway, sorry. No, I'm, I'm really, like, there's I feel my sad close story. to you. I feel close to you. I hope that's okay, like, in a very healthy way. I want to, like, buy you coffee. <laughs> 
Wow. There's something in my eye now. I like cried eye eyelash into my eye. Oh God, I'm falling apart. Do you want? But do you need that's a my sad story. Well, thank you for um, trusting me with that, and all of the listeners. No, I feel like I feel also very. I feel like you're one of those people where I met, and you know we've known each other for years. Yeah, but you know, don't you just feel like when you meet someone and you just like know that they'd get you? Yeah. Yeah. I never fully, I, I, I feel like that story is so powerful. Like that is, that you could have not been alive for those, not if not for those girls. You know that, right? Like hearing yeah. the background of what the situation was, like it, your life would have looked very differently. It's funny that I think it's comical, but also, <laughs> so I was always remembering that story for years but then uh, sort of recently, I would say, actually, it's been a while now. It's been like 15 years, probably. There was this really famous news story in Korea where a drunk man grabbed a girl that oh was my around God. my oh age my and he raped her so severely. Oh this is gosh. all this is the, one of the most popular SA cases in Korea. It, it completely like the entire country was in an uproar. He was very drunk. So he says he doesn't remember anything, but he but he raped her so severely that she her organs were destroyed and she had to have she i think she was in a wheelchair and she had to have like a colostomy bag and this is was all over the news in korea for like five years because that man only got like 10 years in jail because he said he was too drunk to remember and the the entire country had protests in the streets riots in the streets about this and I remember when that story was like famous, I was like, that's when it like oh hit God. me. I was like, that, oh like, oh okay, like, yeah, oh that could have fucking happened. <clears throat> you know, it was the same exact scenario. Walking oh home, God. drunk guy. Oh, my God. Anyway. I don't even know so that weird. I need to tell a story. I feel like that was no, sad enough. No, please do. <laughs> Compare. I mean, it feels like so trivial now what I'm going to share. It's no, sad, nothing but is it, ever trivial. Okay. I wanted to share about. Um, losing my hair no that's a huge that's a huge thing are you kidding me i mean <clears throat> th so th thank you <laughs> thank you no i'm kidding um um yeah i just i've i've lost my hair three times like i've been yeah. completely bald and it was just really it's interesting that you're you you mentioned what you mentioned because there's no real reason why i lose my hair when i lose it and i i'll, I'll be honest with you i have a bald spot Mm. And I have more here. Like I have, you see? Yeah. I have a lot of bald spots. Is this is this called alopecia? Is yeah. that what that is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. um I don't know if my hair is gonna fall out again. I don't know, right? Like I'm powerless over that. But yeah. um I just remember like the first time that it happened, it was just so awful. It was mm. so sad. I would wake up every morning and there would just be hair on my pillow. I was like swimming in a thing of hair. And then I was like avoiding taking a shower because every time I showered, hair would just run down my body and not yeah. even like touching my hair, just like the water would just like, my hair was just like falling out. And um, I went to the doctor and they're like, oh yeah, it's alopecia. And I was like, mm. well, there's like, there's nothing we can do. And I was like, what? Like they gave me shots, like, um um steroid shots and that just made my yeah. head like fully red and itchy and it was so like painful and so I stopped doing those like after a month and then I just let it fall out <laughs> I just was like I surrender like I can't 
it, it obviously doesn't want to be in my body right now. Like there was nothing I could do. And so I shaved my head. Mm. I, I That's was like, when I met you, you had a shaved head. Yeah. When I, I was yeah. in the shower one day and I just like jumped out of the shower and I was like, I can't live like this anymore. I can't. And I just took a scissor and I just started cutting my hair like a mad woman, just like cutting it. And I was sobbing. And then when I was done, I had no hair left. And I just felt like, okay, like, I'm not going to wait for this thing to fall. I'm just going to like sort of take control and let it just be gone. And at the time I didn't know if my hair was going to come back. I had no idea. And I was like, I may be bald for the rest of my life, but like, that's what I'm supposed to be right now. And I was bald for like six months Mm. And it was just really, it was really traumatic. Um, I stopped doing comedy. I mean, I think I start, I, I started again because I realized I can't just stay home every day yeah. because I'm embarrassed of how I look. And so I started doing comedy again. I would put on a baseball cap to get to the open mic and then like take off my hat when I got on stage. Cause everyone thought I had cancer and I had to be like, no, I don't have cancer. It's just like anxiety. Mm. Um, and there's really no reason why it happens. I am not a doctor, but I, and in case you didn't know, I'm not a doctor, but I, um, I think the reason why it falls out is from unresolved, uh, sexual trauma. I think yeah. that's, I think it's connected. I, I just know that it is cause it's connected to being seen and mm. like having the world see me. And every time like something big is happening in my life, like my hair falls out it's almost like my body's protecting me and like, doesn't <clears throat> want me to be seen. Yeah. <clears throat> so like I'm so sorry I don't know if I cut you off oh no the reason why I brought up this story specifically was because I know that we're supposed to make ourselves laugh about it so that I can grow hair in my butt which I thought would actually be good because at least there's hair somewhere so, yeah you can use it as a wig you can cut it and <laughs> use your butt hair as a wig when your hair falls out because it is your hair what if it <laughs> <laughs> so you have a disgusting. second reserve of hair. That's why, I came on, okay. that's why I came on this podcast. Because I was like, this is the answer. What do you mean? I'm going to get hair in my butt. This is what every girl ever wanted. <laughs> well, we do laugh. We do laugh. Try to laugh about it. But first we like take, you know, like take it seriously. Because okay. I, I think, you know what I think is so interesting about what you said and how you're framing it as not very sad or not as important. First of all, <clears throat> I think it's. I was talking to my friend, you know, who could just cut my hair because she does hair. And oh, I was like, I'm, I feel like there's so much psychology around hair. And when she was cutting it, she was like, oh, like, what if you hate it? I was like, I don't give a sh- I'm I personally don't really care about my hair, which I think says a lot about my psychology. Mm. But I know so many people like she was saying so many people cry and they get very upset when, you know, they their hair turns out the way they didn't think. And I was like, that is so fascinating to me. And it, there must be something there. And and I think there is something very important about hair and like what you just said, where you're like, it's tied to sexual trauma, where your body is having a, a like a reaction to wanting to hide or not be seen. And it reminds me of like, I don't know if you ever read the Roxanne Gay novel, Hunger, Mm-mm. and she talks about her weight and she... And she said she started gaining a lot of weight after she was raped. Yeah. And I've she heard that. said, yeah, it was her body's way of creating like a f- actual physical barrier, but also making sure that her body, you know, in a way was not appealing ever again. Wow. And so your body might be like 
don't touch me anymore. I don't want this. Yeah. And your body is actually doing it on its own. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To protect you. And that's so like sad. I know. You know? I know. I know. Which is why I talk to my hair now. Like when I shower, I like comfort my hair yeah. and I'm like, you're safe. You're safe. I like rub my head. I tell myself I love you. Like every morning I give myself like a big hug and like I just look in the mirror and I'm like, I love you, honey. I love you. Like I just like do these positive affirmations. I'm seeing a somatic therapist who's like trying to remove, who's not trying. She's removing oh these like energies from my body. So yeah. I'm hoping that it doesn't fall out, but at the same time, I'm powerless and it may fall out and I may be doing my one woman show fully bald. That's terrifying. I know. I mean, it's fascinating because people are always like, they think it's really like woo woo when you say your thoughts are connected to your body, but it's like, of course it is. It's a, it's my brain. It's an organ. It's in my body. It's telling yeah. my body what to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I've of been really just thoughts. trying to reprogram my thinking and I say, you're perfect. I look in the mirror and I'm like, you're so beautiful. <laughs> like every day I do that. Also, I have to say just like, just because you said, oh, this isn't even a big deal. And like, I hear like a little hint of like, you don't think it's that like important, but I think hair falling out is one of the most people would find that the most traumatizing thing. Yeah. You know, physically. <clears throat> yeah, it is traumatizing. Um, It is. But I just, I, I felt like compared to what your story was, I just felt like it wasn't as sad. No, but also. I know, but it's not a competition. It's not a competition. <laughs> I think it's way more sad. Well, because like your, I know, you know, I know some of your story that related to your childhood, but like that is related to the hair thing. And that's, you know, way more, you know, traumatizing, obviously, you know, like, and so, yeah, but I also feel like the need to say you know the need to be like oh i'm being like vain like hair is vanity mm. so it's not as important as mm. an interesting thing you know because i think as women we're made to feel like oh what you're worried about how pretty you are but it's like anyone would be traumatized by yeah yeah not having hair point yeah down. this woman was saying how she had had cancer and um, yeah. she lost her hair and they had to like give her like a, they, she had breast cancer and they like removed her boobs. And she said yeah. that losing her hair from the chemo was more traumatizing than losing her boobs. Yeah, I could see, I could see that. And I've heard people say the worst part of cancer was losing their hair. Yeah. So like, that's what, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it is, it is, it's a lot. And it happened three times. So it wasn't just oh. once. <laughs> But thank God, you know, um, for, for a long time, I kept my hair real short because I was so scared it was going to fall out again. And then a couple years ago, I think like four years ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to try to grow it and um, see what happens. And then I just learned how to use a curling iron. So, oh, nice. I have a different. Looks good. Thank you. I have a different life now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I shouldn't putting but I shouldn't be putting heat on it while as, as like I have bald spots. But like, I really just want to look as pretty as I can for as long as I can. So. Yeah, I think you just like avoid the scalp. It looks really good. Thank you. Yeah, I feel I, I feel good about it. I'm actually gonna get a haircut uh, in like next week. I'm just gonna cut like an inch just to keep it fresh, you know. Yeah. Um, I have to say, when I met you, I thought the shaving your head was a choice. Like, I I didn't know. Yeah, I was just like, oh, that's like a cool like look. So. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, people thought like I was like a hipster. I'm like, nope. 
just a Jewish anxious anxious person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but, I think you know. I think we did what we came here to do. I feel like we did. I feel like this was an amazing I mean, I'm not wrapping this up. I'm just saying like I'm really inspired by you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I yeah, I like being sad and then laughing about it. It's like 90. I I like getting myself real worked up. You know, just thinking about stuff and getting angry, like rotting away in my little room, just working myself up for no reason. And then laughing your ass. Pressure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did a great job. Are you in therapy? I am. I could tell. Yeah. I could tell. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I've I never could... brought that story up with my therapist. I mean, I'm not here to offer suggestions, but... I have. I feel like I have so much stuff that I like haven't even gotten to that. It's it's a big deal. Maybe just put it on the roster of things to bring up. <laughs> um. Well, um. Sorry, I feel like I cut you off again. Oh no, we're we're, you're, we're just you're saying you could tell I was in therapy. Yeah, because you just seem really healthy. I yeah, I am in therapy. I've done a lot. I've done it for years. I've done a lot of work. The last episode of this podcast, actually, which comes out today, is um, just talking about how my work is invisible to me. Because I was talking to my friend, and she was like, "Oh, how did you like get really good at confrontation?" Because I used to be terrified of it, and she's kind of like the same. And I was like, "I don't know. One day, I just like that. Nah. Like, I just did it." But then I talked, I told my therapist, she was like, dude, we've been working on this for like eight years. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. For eight years, I was in very intensive therapy. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> I'm proud of you. You're a fucking badass. You I'm were... proud of you. Oh, thank you. This is. When is your. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, when is your show the, that the public can go watch, that your hour? Oh, so I'm still working with a writing coach. We're like fine tuning yeah. it and punching it out and fleshing out, making more jokes because it's like a little heavy. We're trying to make people laugh and cry at the same time, yeah. you know, like in the yeah. same hour. Um, <laughs> so I don't have a date for them, unfortunately, but I I, 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 see. I don't know. I, I, I guess I could... I do produce a monthly show in Crown Heights if they want to come and see me do just regular comedy. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Where, where, when's your show and where is it? It's in a restaurant called Basil Pizza. Okay. And it's in Crown Heights. Uh -huh. And the next show is, I don't know, uh, is on Monday, February 27th. Okay, and it's monthly. It's monthly. Okay, well... I were I, I'm about to wrap this up because it's gone a little over an oh, hour. Oh, did you want to? Is there anything that you wanted to um, say before I ask for your social media? Any well, last thoughts? Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you for having me. This was really like a beautiful conversation that we shared, and I also just wanted to say that I booked a headlining gig in Boca Raton. Oh, okay. In good. March. So if anybody is in Boca. I will be in Boca Raton March 15th. It's a Wednesday. You can follow me Where? on Instagram at Khani Lisbon. And it's, it's this space called The Loft. The Loft. March 15th. Yeah. Anyone in Boca Raton, check or out Or if you're in Khani. Miami, you can drive. You guys, just get in the car. It's a 40-minute drive. It's not a big deal. I feel like people in Miami have cars. That's like a car city. It is so. a car city. They all have Lamborghinis and Porsches. Get in your fucking Tesla <laughs> and come. Get in your Lambo. <laughs> your Lambo. 
<laughs> I never said Lambo. Okay. You sounded really oh. natural. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. That was like such a fascinating conversation. I didn't know you were going to bring up your hair thing. And I'm really glad you did because I feel like, you know, it covers so many topics. You know, it covers where trauma lives in your body, which we, I don't think we've discussed on this podcast. I think it covers feeling ashamed of things that seem not as bad as other people's traumas. Mm. And like, it's it's really interesting, like to really think about all that. Um if uh, again, if you want to follow Hani, her Instagram is Hani Lisbon. Yeah. Is there an underscore? No, right? It's C H A N I underscore L I S B O N. Okay. And if you want to follow me, I'm at YM Mayor. And if you want to follow the podcast, it's Harry Butthole Podcast on Instagram. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.